you know, we have been astounded here about the kingdom generosity. So, you know, we've been given sound equipment. We've been given vehicles by people who we haven't even met. So we've chatted on Zoom, but they've never even been to Zimbabwe. And these people are just like, well, this is just so exciting to hear about. And so what can we give? What do you guys need? Do you need more things? And we've actually been having to say to him, listen, guys, actually, it's okay. Like God's really, really provided. People amongst us here, whether it's the $10 we shared about before or others, the overflow of kingdom generosity is so exciting. And I'm going to share later just about some of the things as a church we feel called to in terms of unleashing that generosity in our city. But we're just so grateful for God's provision. So to the sound guys who came and set up, I think uh, Josh and the crew yesterday morning who set up and everything else, Thank you so much, Josh. And if any of you is looking for areas to serve, can I tell you that sound is in desperate need? <laughs> They'd love your help. You, you could even have a terrible ear. Okay, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, but um, you can then help with carrying speakers and things. But honestly, uh, if you're looking for areas to get stuck in and you're going, well, I don't want to be upfront or I don't particularly like children, although we're going to talk about that a little bit, um, <laughs> please do. Uh, chat to Josh afterwards, chat to myself. We really want to grow our sound and tech team. Uh, the other one, as I said, from next week, we ramp up to two children's classes on a Sunday, grade ones to fours, five to sevens. We're actually excited about, but that means that we're excited for even more people who are keen to serve and get stuck in with kids. So if you're thinking, where can I be involved? That's another area that you can as well. So there's so many ways to get stuck in, but I just don't want you to be sitting here going, I just feel like I'm a bench warmer or feeling comfortable being a bench warmer because you should feel very uncomfortable being a bench warmer because church life, the only way we function the best we can is when we're all doing things and using our giftings and abilities. So get ready for that. Now, I'm so excited. It's up there uh, to be starting a series today from the letter written to the Colossian uh, church. And this series, I can tell you, is going to be challenging. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be um, inspiring. It's going to paint a beautiful picture of who God is and the life that he's called us to. And this is going to lay the foundation it's going to give us at the start of the church journey a robust framework, theological framework, and a practical way of living for Christ as we start out on this journey. You see, we want to be a people who stand strong in the faith, um, who stand strong in the truth of Scripture. We're going to look at that today. And that's going to allow us to grow our faith and stay rock solid in the difficult times of life, in the challenging times when faith is questioned. It's going to help us in that process. And at the same time, with our connect groups, we're going to be going through a series, a Right Now Media series, on Colossians as well. If you haven't been contacted yet about connect groups, you will be on Monday and Tuesday because we have new groups starting this week and next week. We've got so many people who are keen to be involved in midweek groups, and that's just a way for us to build friendship and community and go deeper in our faith. So a little bit about Colossians. So it's known as one of the prison letters written by the Apostle Paul from prison in Rome. He wrote a number of letters, uh, Paul, who, who was greatly changed by the Lord from Rome. He wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Philippi, and to a person called Philemon or Philemon. I prefer Philemon because that's kind of what we go with in Zim, but Americans love Philemon. You know, they just, they go for it. So any Americans here, or you can all get going on the Philemon part. And um, anyway, the writing style is similar to many of Paul's letters, where the letter splits into two parts. This is what I love with, with the, the way that he built thought, which obviously was God-inspired. He builds like, this is what God says, this is the theological truth, and then this is how it affects our way of life. And so you're going to see that through the letter. The first few chapters that we go through, the next few weeks, is going to all be about what does God say about life, and then how do we practically do that. 
So a little background to the letter. So it was written to the church in Colossae. Now, Colossae was a city in Asia Minor. I think we have a picture there. Okay, so I'll show you a modern one in a little bit, but you can see it there sort of, not just yet. Ish eager beaver, Callum. Well done. Well done, Cal. If anyone wants to help on the AV team and you're quite shy, best place to serve. You don't even know where they are and they're just working all the time. So there we go. If you're shy and you, you can do a few things on a computer, you'll be there. Okay, so uh, Colossae, you can see there, sort of uh, in, in, in the middle to the side there. And uh, so that is where Paul was writing to. There was a church that had been planted there, located along the Lycus River, about 160 k's from Ephesus, which you can also see there, sort of in the middle, you'll see Ephesus. And so there was another great church uh, there, which we're gonna speak into, a man called Timothy led the church there. And so those two are closely linked in the story. Now it's modern day Turkey. So Carl, now you can go to the next one, which is amazing. So uh, there we go. You can go visit it uh, in Turkey if you want to. Uh, so there we go. Gives you a little bit of an idea of exactly where Colossae um, was, where um, Paul was writing to. If you go to the next pictures, thanks, Carl. This is a bit about uh, of what it looks like today. So there's still a lot of um, structures there. You can go to the next one, one of the amphithe amphitheaters in existence. Um, and there you go, beautiful uh, ruins that you can go and see. Is there one more? Is that it? That's it, oh, thank you, Carl, what a legend. Um, and so, yeah, there we go. You've got those pictures there to give you an idea. Now, at the time of writing, AD 60, so about 27 years after Jesus died, at the time of writing, uh, there was actually a big earthquake that many other writers wrote about, not just uh, biblical writers, and there's still a lot of ruins standing today. They survived the earthquake at the time. And lots of surface surveys from archeologists have found inscriptions for theaters, cemeteries, uh, other learning structures, uh, school education, which just shows the type of city that Colossae was. It was a bustling city. It was a melting pot of different faiths and different people. The coins discovered showed that the official day worshipped were the Roman gods, as well as many other strange cults, because they had so many different people there. They had Phrygians, did I say that right? Phrygians, Phrygians, Phrygians. Any scholars who know those people? Anyone? There we go. You call them what you want to. Anyway, Indo-European people, and a lot of them, they're sort of the historical roots of the European people now. Um, and so there was a blend of them, there was the ancient Greeks, there were some Romans there, and there were Jews as well at the time. So this was the melting pot that was there. Now the church in Colossae was likely started by a man called Epaphras, and he had probably heard, uh, Kala, are you able to go back to that first map with Colossae and um, Epaphras? He had probably heard the good news of Jesus from Paul during one of Paul's missionary trips to Ephesus. So Paul spent about two years in Ephesus. Uh, building churches there, reaching out into Asia Minor. And it's likely that Epaphras came across there, at that time heard the gospel, came to faith, and then as a result went back to his hometown and the gospel started to spread. The good news of Jesus started to spread. And a quick side note on that. It is easier to share your faith and mine in a context that we know amongst people that we know. It's far easier to share his faith. So for Epaphras, sure, he could have stayed in Ephesus where he heard the gospel. But actually for him to move back to his hometown where he would have understood the, the culture and the tradition of the day, the language, it's far easier to share our faith in that context. So if you're a Zimbabwean, a northern suburban Christ follower here today, I wanna to encourage you to ask the Lord to give you courage to share your faith here. The teenagers have headed out. I'll share this with them in the coming weeks, but the teenager's getting ready to go to university. Maybe you're thinking, should I go to another nation? 
that's great, but I want you to take advantage of sharing your faith here if you're a Zimbabwean in a context that you know and understand. You'll have a far greater connection and understanding what people are going through and have been through than a stranger who might come to visit. And this will be incredible preparation for what the Lord has for you. So it's just a side note, but Epaphras teaches us this great lesson that he went to his home city and the church blossomed from there. Why? Well, because people would have understood him. They would have known him. Just as much as if you're here and you're Christ follower today, you're in networks and circles and business connections and families. People know you. They spend time with you. Friendship. There's a, a place for you to share your faith already. We also know that Epaphras was imprisoned for his faith for some time during a visit to see Paul. So he got to know Paul and came to faith in Ephesus, and then he then traveled to Rome at some stage to visit Paul. And we see in the letter, Philemon, we'll put it across there, or Philemon, as you say, this is what Paul says. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So he was stuck in prison at some time for his faith as well with Paul, the stranger who came to faith. They built such a bond that he headed hundreds of kilometers to visit Paul. He was also locked up, but they had this bond that went beyond there. So very exciting to hear that. So Paul's writing to this fairly new church that he had not yet had the chance to visit. So he, had, he knew Epaphras, but he had never actually visited Colossae. He had never been there yet. He's now locked up in prison. They were doing well. They were passionate about Christ, but they were also struggling in some areas, as we may as well in the future. They were trying to work out their newfound faith in the midst of social and religious traditions. So how do we live out this faith? But we've got Jewish people telling us we have to live a certain way. We've got Roman gods, and they tell us that we, there's different ways that we talk to the supernatural. We've got Greek people who advanced in some areas and mix in cultural traditions. But what do we do? We're Christians. We find that here in Zimbabwe. We find that here in most nations where we're wanting to live out our faith but you have through social media and through news stations and through philosophers and things we listen to, we've got this blend of belief sets. It's, it's why, uh, to be honest, there's a lot of conversations that I have recently with people saying, you know, we'll look at this a bit more in depth later in the preach, but while I think about it, you know, there's, you know, it's great coming to church and being involved in faith and there's just so many different ways to God and all different faiths say the same thing and we sort of all get to God one way or another. It's a big conversation around Harari at the moment. It's not what scripture says, it's not what other faiths say as well, but somehow we bought into this perspective that kind of just everything leads to the same thing. It's a cultural tradition. It's not biblically based, it's a cultural tradition. We need to be based in scripture. And so Paul wanted to paint a very clear picture to the Colossian church of Jesus Christ, who he is and how that affects the church and every single one of our lives. And so I just thought, oh Lord Jesus, what a book for us to dive into. What a letter for us to get to grips with in the run into Christmas. So let's dive in. Colossians 1, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It's going to be up there. Uh, if you want to um, buy a Bible, there's ones at the back. If you don't have money for a Bible and you need one, come chat to us. We'll just give you one. Um, but having a Bible is something so special. It's God's word. It's alive. It changes our lives. So, so get reading. So what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers um, in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We're gonna pause there for a short bit. You know, Paul had every opportunity to boast. This guy was a superhero. Uh, if it was the era of Instagram now or TikTok, um, which I'm told that I should get a TikTok account because it's where it's happening. My wife doesn't tell me that, but other people do. Um, so, uh, so maybe I'll get on there just to bond with the teenagers. But 
Paul would have had millions and millions of followers. He was the superhero when it came to faith at the time. He was a champion church planter. He was incredibly academic. He was the highest level of study for the Jewish people of the day. And he was looked to as a key leader in the early church. And yet he starts his letter with Paul. Sort of a throwaway line, just Paul. That speaks a lot. Firstly, it says that there's no need for fancy titles and special positions in God's kingdom. I loved what Mike said when he, when he finished off and he just said, we're just nobodies, all of us collectively, but we just get to live for Jesus. That's the case. There's no titles. There's nothing special about any of us. Paul didn't think there was anything special about him. We don't either. So that was the one thing. It's about Jesus and not us. We want to magnify Jesus and make ourselves in our, in our early morning prayer meeting, 830 if any of you want to also feel part of church life, 8.30 to 8.45 is where it's happening, in the library. You want to come there and join, pray with us together, it's great. And, and we kept praying there, um, God, we pray that we would just really be small so that you can be big. That was our prayer. That's what we want. We're nothing special compared to the great king. We must decrease so God can increase. So Paul's goal was always to place the spotlight on Christ. And on top of that, he also longed for this faith friendship. He wanted the church that he hadn't met yet to know, I care about you guys. We're on the same level playing field. I'm Paul. I want to find out your names. Epaphras is there with you, but, but we're friends. We're connected together. He cared deeply for the new church. So he said, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Now, the word apostle just means sent out one, someone who's sent on a mission, someone who pioneers a new opportunity, a person who reaches into new territories, raises leaders, establishes communities. But again, for Paul, this is no personal puffing up. It wasn't, I, Paul, an apostle, full stop, carried on. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's about magnifying him. He was sent out for Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one who Paul cared about. He gave his life for Christ. We see later in Acts 19, um, not 19, I think it's 16. Um, oh, I can find that. Don't, don't quote me on that. Don't get me in trouble. But uh, where Paul is saying, he's got the, the Ephesian church and they're saying, Paul, you shouldn't go to Rome. And Paul said, no, but the Holy Spirit is telling me that I need to go to Rome to share the gospel there and that I am going to be killed there. The church was like, but you can't do that. That wouldn't be right. He's like, no, that's what Jesus has said. That's what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter if I lose my life for Christ. That's how he lived. He was a sent out one for Christ. That's my prayer for each of us here, that our passion would be for Christ, all-consuming Christ. It says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, in two weeks' time, We'll look more at the will of God because I really want us to get to grips with that because it's vital that we understand what the Bible says about that because actually biblically, there's two different types of the will of God. It's interesting. You'll see this all the way through scripture. There's the first type of God's will, which is called his sovereign will or his will of decree. And this will of God's will always happen. Nothing will ever change that will. It doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not. It doesn't matter whether you obey him or not. That will will always come to pass because God has said it will. And he's king over everything, so it can. That's the first type of God's will. But then there's a second type of God's will, which is called his prescriptive will or the will of command. And this will can be obeyed or disobeyed. These work hand in hand together all through scripture and in our lives. God's will that will happen Jesus dying, rising again, him returning, all of those sorts of things. That will happen. Nothing's ever going to change that. Then there's his prescriptive will, the will of command, that can change. People can obey. They can disobey. That all falls under his will. And so 
One can never be violated and will always come to pass regardless of what you and I believe. But the other can be altered by personal choices. We're going to dive into that. We're going to see how those two fit together. So important that we know this and we see life through the lens of what that teaches. So stay tuned for that because Paul speaks about God's will often. You find it in lots of uh, the letters that he writes. And he said this again. He really believed that he was a sent out one because God wanted it to take place. You see, Paul was going in the opposite direction to Christ in his life. Maybe some of you here today, this might happen every now and then. It might happen all the time. Maybe some of you at the moment, you're running in the opposite direction to Christ. And you sort of have this nagging feeling like, I just know that he's calling me to something else. I know that he's drawing me to, to something else. But at the moment you're saying, but I just want to live for myself. It's great. I've got this nagging, but actually there's things I want to do in my life. There's things I want to achieve. Well, Paul was far worse than any of that, probably than any of us could ever be. He was a persecutor of Christians. He stood watch over the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. And in those days, uh, martyrs were stoned, just rocks thrown at until you died. And he held the cloaks of other guys so they could get their arms dirty and they could, they could get thrown. And he was like, it's okay, guys, I'll just hold your cloaks and I'll watch these guys getting, getting killed. And he, he actively sought out Christians to kill and to remove and then on a journey to Damascus, he was blindsided by the risen King Jesus and forever changed. He was running as hard as he could in the opposite direction. He didn't believe, but God's will for his life was different and it was absolutely turned around. He had an intervention. Maybe for some of you, God's gonna do the same. Maybe he's done the same. I'm sure if I asked, you know, we had these stories, how, what's happened in some of your lives? You might say, well, I was going in that direction and something happened, I'm now running hard after God. Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but by God's will, Paul's life was planned um, and turned around. He was planned to be an instrument for the gospel, and it took place regardless of Paul's bad choices. God can bring good out of the worst of our choices. He does it time and time again. He'll do it in your life. He'll do it in mine. And so Paul knew this without a shadow of a doubt. He knew that the Lord had called him to be an apostle of God. And then Timothy was likely in prison with Paul at the time. So he says, and, our, and Timothy, our brother, he was the one I said earlier who led the church in Ephesus, but on a visit to Rome, he was probably also locked up. So this happened very often. He was a fellow follower of Jesus and a church leader in Ephesus. And Paul wrote two letters specifically to Timothy to encourage him, one Timothy, two Timothy in scripture. And uh, we're not meant to do life alone. The Lord will always provide us someone during our time of greatest need. You can imagine prison, I reckon probably similar to Chikorubi, if not worse, prisons in those times. But somehow, Timothy ends up there with him, uh, Epaphras at a certain time as well, someone to just bring comfort and connection, pray together, support each other in the difficult, most difficult of times. So be prepared and ready for that. If you're struggling today and someone comes up to you and says to you, or in the week, sends you a WhatsApp or comes up to you after church and says, hey, how are you doing? Don't say, it's all good, if it isn't. Because then we can't be friends with each other. We've got to learn to be vulnerable and honest. We've had a rough week to say, it's been a tough week. I was talking to someone on WhatsApp this morning and we've been chatting and uh, on and off and they just said, hey, listen, it's just been a really rough time the last week. Been dealing with lots of different things. Brilliant, then we can support each other. So for each of us, let's be vulnerable, open and honest. None of us have great life going great all the time. And so, so don't bottle things in. But there's opportunity to share. It might be a connect group. It might be afterwards for prayer. But we need friendships around us. So don't do the standard, everything's fine. Be vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. Share what's happening. Let's support each other in times of trial. Just as Paul felt a strong connection with people he hadn't met personally, uh, I love the fact uh, that it says over there as well, 
um, that we get to be part of God's great family. So it says, to the saints, believers, and faithful brothers in Christ to Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he had never met them. So he has the sense of a bond with people that he has never met. And we get to be part, as Hope Church, we get to be part of God's great family across the world, even if we haven't met. In the coming weeks, we're gonna share just some of the, the people that we're gonna be partnering with and organizations. We wanna be sending out funds and resources. We wanna be going on mission trips to other parts of the world. We wanna be part of God's great church. Having some of you here for Vickers and Tanya, who have um, been church planting in Canada, we, we, we feel this amazing bond and connection with them. They're across the globe. Yes, they're South Africans, so it helps a bit. Um, but they, they planted there. We feel this connection. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And in Zimbabwe, we can so easily go, Ish, man, it's just been so tough. And now we've got elections coming up in you know, nine months' time. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? The world's going to end. And we've been through difficult times. No, God's on the throne. And actually, we can be a support to other people. We can give to other people. We can teach other people things. We can support others. And that's what God wants to use us in. We may never see the Christian brothers and sisters face to face that we support, but we're family. We can pray. We can support. It's so exciting. We love it. And it's such a privilege and a joy. That little part, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace is getting what you and I don't deserve. When Jesus paid the price for us on the cross, none of us deserved it. Grace is a free gift of life. It comes from Christ. We receive it by faith and it's wonderful. And it's available to you right now. If you haven't given your life to Christ, this opportunity will pray after the service, but there's a chance for your life to be transformed now. As a result, you'll experience the peace of God that is beyond comprehension. So God comes to do. He pours out his life to us. You get peace, contentment. If you're here today and you're striving and you're going, I'm just not satisfied, I need more, I need bigger, I need greater, I need a bigger footprint, I need bigger success, I need this, I need this. It's because you don't have contentment. God's the only one who can give it to you. No amount of bigger will satisfy what you need down there. And then it says, peace from God, our Father. And if any of you here today have had a bad experience with a father, don't put that experience on who God the Father is but he comes to restore and to show you the love of a father. So you mind these, in fact, I just wanna quickly pray. Let's just quickly pause. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here today where there's father issues, there's been father hurt, maybe even father abuse, maybe father abandonment, maybe growing up without a dad, Maybe a dad who didn't set a good example. Father, I thank you that you are the one true father. Thank you that you can be what no earthly father can be. And I pray right now in this moment that you would bring restoration, that you would repair, that you'd mend hurt, that you'd comfort. Thank you that you are a good father, that you're always there that you never let us down, that when human fathers do, you don't. I pray for forgiveness this morning. I pray for restored relationships. I pray for comfort. Yeah, thank you, Lord. If you need more prayer on that, by the way, afterwards, please come and see us. Brilliant. Next one, number three. Dave, brilliant notices this morning. Sarah said, that people listened so much more because it wasn't me. And I think that's true. 
So well done. There'll be some other people as well, so you don't have to see me talk, but I just had to single you out there. Well done, Dave. So good. And I only told Dave the things he had to say like five minutes before. So he just, he, he just, you nailed it. Well done. Thank you. Great. There's a little aside there. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. And they're writing this from a filthy, painful, hurting place in a prison. That's where Paul is writing this, him and Timothy. And he says, we always thank God. How good are you at thanking God? Friends, if all that Jesus did was to die on the cross for you and I, for our sin for all eternity, that's enough. Frankly, our lives could be horrific and that would be enough for us to thank him for every day if we truly understand what we've been saved from and saved for. It's more than we need, but grateful people are happy people. If you're struggling with joy and you're struggling with happiness, just track back to see how often you're saying thank you to God. And that will probably be a very big indicator of where your dissatisfaction is coming from. There's always something to be grateful for. And this part of God's will, this is his prescriptive will. It's a command, actually. His will, a command that he says here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you want to walk in God's will, if you want to walk hearing his voice, if you want to walk in the joy of the Lord, if you want to see him open doors in your life, get good at giving thanks and you will see that you automatically start walking in his ways. It's amazing. And so if you're struggling with gratefulness, there's so much to be grateful for. If you wanna be living close to God, get grateful. Paul was doing it in prison, in pain, and there was still much for him to be grateful for. Excellent. And although this book uh, will look to a large extent at the supremacy of Christ in everything, look what Paul says here. If you jump to the next one, um, I think, ah, Back once more, sorry, Cal, and then back again to that uh, verse. Yeah, perfect. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Although this book is predominantly about the supremacy of Christ, who Jesus Christ is today, you'll notice that Paul's very careful to say the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to say that actually Jesus isn't some lone person on his own. No, he's the Son of the Father, the triune God. He's fully God and yet fully the Son. We always thank God when we pray for you. Not if, but when. Friends, prayer has power. It changes things. Someone once said, the more that I pray, the more coincidences happen. And it was said kind of tongue in cheek because I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God incidences. But it just happens that the more you pray, the more you see God do things in your life because he leads and directs you. So start praying. Maybe it's a strange thing to you and you sort of say, well, it feels like talking to a brick wall. We can help. We can get your resources on hearing his voice, on talking to him. But we can talk to him like he's a, he's a person. We can sense that he's there. So if you aren't praying or talking to God, I want to encourage you to start. Start small. Might feel strange. Maybe in the car is a good time. Thanking God, thanking him for what's happening. A great way to start. And then just see how it works. See what thoughts he drops into your mind. Uh, but we'd love to help you in that process. Uh, next one, verse four. Thanks, Carl. Uh, it says here, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's why he's praying for them. Now, faith, hope, and love. Something uh, to say about this yesterday. Faith, hope, and love are actually seen very often in Paul's writings. And those of you who know a little bit of uh, scripture, you may know of a passage called 1 Corinthians 13, often shared at weddings. 
It's kind of known as the love passage. And he talks about all different things that love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Goes on all the way. And he talks about the greatest of all these different virtues uh, is, he says, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So Paul speaks about this often, of faith, hope, and love being important virtues for us to live by. But what's so interesting is this, is that he switches around the order, which as I was prepping, I picked up. He says, since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, he doesn't go faith, hope, love, he goes faith, and then of your love for all the saints, and then he says something interesting, because of the hope. So we're going to dive into this a bit. Why does he say that? Why does he change the order? It's intentional. You see, in Corinthians, when he spoke about us living out the love of Christ, what he was getting across in that was that it's an outworking, it's our behavior. As God changes us from the inside out, we become people who are more patient. Well, we should. Less angry. We should. More self-controlled. More loving. More faith. Hope for the future. That's how we grow. Those outwork in us as we grow closer to Jesus. But here, he's actually talking about how our faith begins. How does the process begin? And so we can only have faith in Christ and we can only have the love that pours out of the faith in Christ if we actually have a hope that he was who he said he was. Because hope is an expectation. It's believing in promises that are to come to pass. And so if we have hope that Jesus died and that one day when we die, we can have access to life beyond the grave, that's a hope. That's the only way that we can actually place our trust in him and have faith and as a result have love. And so hope has to be foundational in our lives. It's amazing how Paul does that and he does it purposefully. See, if we don't believe that Jesus is God, that he died and rose again for our sins, that he has power over life and death, that he's prepared a place for us in heaven, and that if we give our lives to him, we can have that faith. And as a result, love, if we don't believe in those things that happen, those are all hopeful things. We can't access the other. It's the hope the expectation that what he promised is true, that's actually the foundation of faith and the outworking of love in our lives. It's why hope's so foundational, part of why we called Hope Church, why we came about. It's the eternal perspective that shapes our lives on earth. It shapes how we raise our kids. If we believe that there's life beyond the grave and that's the most important place to be, it affects what we place as important to our kids. Yeah, we'll care about education, we'll care about university, we'll care a lot more about where they are faith-wise changes everything. It changes how we view the empires that we create on earth, our business empires, because if we see with an eternal perspective, we suddenly see that all of our resources, all the people that we employ, everything that we do, the purpose of that is actually to help people see God's kingdom, hope in the one true God. Hope changes what we hope and what we place our hope in, changes everything. We can anticipate with confidence what's to come. Nothing that happens to you and I will ever take away the eternal hope from Christ that we have in Christ. It will stir your faith and will grow your love for him and for others, for people who are like you and not like you, to be in church with his people. That's why I want to keep making room for new people here. So I want to keep helping people explore faith and, uh, and providing those sorts of opportunities to be connected, to serve, to be part of his family. Then he says the word truth there. He says, uh, because the hope led up for heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. We live in a world of relative truth. Your truth is different to my truth. And that's okay as long as you don't think that your truth is better than my truth. So actually my truth is right and yours isn't. <laughs> that's how we live. 
It's okay, you can have your own belief, I can have my own belief, but your belief better not be different to my belief. That's how we live. And so that's where you see the shortfalls in it. But Paul says there, and I believe it all my heart, he says there, let up for heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth. Not a truth, the truth. Jesus is not a truth. He's not a way to God. He's not one of many great truths. He didn't leave that option open. He's the truth. He said in John 14, verse six, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Stand firm on the truth of scripture in your life. Don't be swayed by new stations. Don't be swayed by great sounding book titles and philosophers. Jesus is the truth. What happens as a result if we believe that truth? What happens? It says, which has come to you, verse six, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Bearing fruit and increasing. I shared this a few weeks ago. The truth of Jesus is electric. That's why people wanted to be around Jesus all the time. Everyone's after truth. It changes hearts and lives always for the better. And we've had amazing testimonies of that here. New people exploring faith, coming to faith, sharing faith. We're not doing that. God's doing something in people's hearts across the globe. We're excited to do part of that in some small way. God's bringing many new people to faith amongst us. And I know that there's more. We know that there's more. We're praying for it. In some ways, we don't want to pray for it because then we have to think about things like extra services. But we do want to pray for it because there's more people who need to come to faith. There's more in the city. I think of the spring fair that's happening next week. And I think, I don't know, of the three, four, five, six thousand people who are going to go through those gates, how many of those people know Jesus? How many? That's just a tiny little circle of our neighborhood. And I go, Lord Jesus, would you just bring 10% of that to come to faith? 20%, would you use us in that process? Maybe if you're gonna go to the Spring Fair next week, after church, of course, hey, that's why we did it for you because uh, um, being with God's people is a lot more exciting than buying things. Um, But I won't hold it against you. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, Um, that's why we did it. So you can go to the fair afterwards and you can do all of your commercial retail therapy after church. But the point is, is if you go there, if you're gonna be at the fair, I'd love you to be going there going, just who are in these circles? Who is in our community who just needs to come to faith? Oh, that's a great friend. I'm gonna meet them for coffee in the week. Oh guys, let's get them around to our houses for dinner. Let's share our faith. Let's share who Jesus is. We're passionate about God's gospel advance, sending out, going out, welcoming in. Just as I get ready to close, how does this good news of Jesus go out? We come full circle back to this young man called Epaphras. This growth in the Colossian church, where did it start? Verse seven, just as you learned it from one person, Epaphras, who happened to come on a journey to Ephesus and happened to hear the gospel through Paul and decided to faithfully head back to his own town and just share with friends and family what Jesus had done in his heart. From Epaphras, our beloved servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. He faithfully shared Christ's love with grace. People coming to faith doesn't happen by osmosis. Doesn't happen accidentally. It happens by the spoken word of God. And so friends and family who don't know Jesus, business colleagues who don't know Jesus, it's not gonna happen by accident. And in all likelihood, the reason why they are your friends and your family and your work colleagues is precisely because God's saying, I've placed you there like Epaphras because I want you to be someone who's bold enough to just open your mouth when the opportunity comes to just say, hey, do you know what? Can I have coffee and can I just tell you 
that God changed my life. And I'd love to talk more about it with you. We don't have to Bible bash, we just share what God has done. And who knows, maybe God will start a church, a midweek church in your business premises. Maybe he'll lead you to plant a church somewhere else in the city or in another country just by an opportunity and conversation to step out of faith and share what Jesus has done, just as Epaphras did. And so we share with others and they share with others. And God's kingdom grows. We get to be part of what he's doing, not what we're doing, what he's doing. Let's pray together. Should we stand just as we close? Lord Jesus, thank you that we get to dive into your word. It's nothing that I say that changes any hearts. It's your word, which is life and truth. It forever changes, it forever will change. Why? Because it is your word. And so whatever brought us through these doors today, an invite from a friend, the sort of nudging from the Holy Spirit to just come and visit to check out church, whatever brought us through these doors, what we thought brought us through these doors, I know it was you. And so if you don't know Christ here today, if you don't know him yet, this is your opportunity. And he would say, I died for you and I love you. And I'd love you to respond to the fact that I paid the price for your sin. And I'd love to give you life now and for all eternity. Right now in this moment, you can turn to him. You can, you can say, God, I believe. You can come and chat to me afterwards. You can be forever changed. And then we'd love to chat and get you into connect group and help you serve and help you hear God's voice. Then there'll be others of us who may be Yo, Lord Jesus, I pray that if the cares of this world, I pray that if worries and concerns of what people might think of us, I pray that if past hurts in church circles, I pray that if there's anything that stopped us from living sold out for you in the past, that you would squash that right now. I pray that if there's any work of the enemy in our lives that right now is distracting us, is preventing us from living sold out for the king, making every second at our account in this short time we have on earth. Pray you'd bring it to mind right now. Pray that just as Paul said in another letter in Philippians, forgetting what's behind, but straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal, the upward call of God, the heavenward call of God. I pray that you'd raise in us as Hope Church a desperation and a passion to live for your kingdom no matter what no matter what the cost, no matter whether it means jail time as it did for Paul, no matter if it means people looking at us a bit strange, no matter if it means a sacrifice of time and of effort, God, would we be people who humbly say, we live for you, King Jesus. And as a result, everything changes. We get to be a part of what you're doing. And so as we head out from here today, pray that we'd remember your word, pray that we'd act on it the other 167 hours of the week. Pray that we'd build friendships as we go from here to tea and coffee. We'd build friendships with people we don't know. We'd have people in our home that are different to us. We'd give of our lives to see your kingdom come. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.